0: You know it was just a natural thing to me I didn't think about it I got that buzz You know when people get a buzz out of Smoking or drinking Whatever else um, I got that buzz For
1: you it was buying and selling
0: Buying and selling And looking after customers
1: The architects of business on Joe In partnership with the EY Entrepreneur of the Year programme Telling the story of Ireland's leading
0: entrepreneurs Across the island of Ireland
1: today the story of a showcase a shop where locals and visitors alike can find all the best of irish craft and design and the story of the family with the vision that put it together this is the Architects of Business, Joe's weekly series of interviews with leading entrepreneurs in partnership with EY Entrepreneur of the Year. I'm Ty Genwright and today we'll be hearing from Marion O'Gorman of the Kilkenny Group, whose roots were planted in a thatched caravan beside Blarney Castle, selling souvenirs and spinning yarns to tourists.
0: And I used to have the story where it's the honeycomb and blackberry stitches and give them the story about the fishermen. If they fell overboard, they'd be known by their. And this is all tr- true stories from what I believe the Aaron Sweater was there for. Mm. And I always absolutely sold more than they came to buy.
1: Marion learned her business skills on the front line, but still she felt she'd missed out on higher education.
0: I always felt the disadvantage of not going to college. When I meet people that went to college, they have lovely flowery words, and I was trying to use some of those words. Sometimes out of context, maybe.
1: Of course, Marion had more business acumen than most and the advantage of being a charming young woman.
0: I was a real wheeler-dealer, right? When i go to the suppliers, they were all men, and I charmed them with my talk, my smile. I definitely had the advantage and I knew it.
1: Family businesses live or die on commitment and passion. But as Marion learned, they can sometimes damage relationships.
0: Three members are in the business and my son is doing his own thing. It's played out to that. No, I wouldn't wish that on any family business.
1: Today we'll hear Marion's thoughts on being a mother and an entrepreneur, weathering storms and the future of retail. Marion, thank you very much for coming in and talking to us today. Um, it seems to me you had a great role model in the, the field you're in now and that was your dad. What did you look, Tell us about the beginnings of the family business.
0: Well, before my dad even, there was his mum, Katie Downey was her name, would be my nan, um, had a shop in her front room in Clare, which is a mile from Blarney. And she sold teas and coffees and cakes and a small shop then with milk and waters and all that. Two people coming, walking from Cork to Blarney and back again or cycling because there was no transport other than that at that time. So in her own way, she was in retail without even realizing or any of us realizing what she was in. And then my father was um, a real ideas guy. He was always full of ideas. Um, and the first one that I can really remember he talking about was the, he he built a windmill. And why I'm saying this then the kind of creative things he did after that um, in his back garden in his parents' house when he was about in his late teens, and they had electricity when no-one else in Killarth had electricity because the windmill produced it for them. But then in the rain, in the lashing rain, he used to have to get raincoats on because it would stop and climb up to fix it again. Um, he just... And then he was in... He fixed um, watches when he was working in the mill. He used to make parts for Blarney Mills, which wasn't ours at the time. It was owned by Martin Mannies, a um, really local... They were English business people, um, that lived in Blarney at the time, and he used to make them with his hands during World War Two, at a very young age. Um, and then when he left there, he was in insurance. He was he had um, a dressmaking factory, he had a knitwear factory, he had a taxi company. He bought a cinema that had a dance hall and a cinema. Um, and I'm sure I've got some of the other things. It's, it's a
1: long list, so I'm not <laughs> surprised you, you, you don't remember all the details. I mean, do you think is is is, is, is enterprise or that entrepreneurial spirit is, is it in your is it in your genes, or you know, did he learn it from his mum, and did you learn it from him?
0: Well, I feel it is in my genes from the retail perspective and buying and selling. Um, and why I say that is because um, when I was when I, when I left school at sixteen. After a secretarial course, um, I started working in the thatch cottage with him, selling errands um, to tourists.
1: So this was his first tourist enterprise. Tell us more about the thatched thatched cottage, cottage and 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 your own involvement with
0: it. I remember I was in sixth class in in national school when it came down from Killard, so there was no Blarney was very small at the time. There was no shop for sale, and in the insurance business, he was he used to go from house to house collecting insurance. Back then, obviously, it's all the known online. Before direct debits. <laughs> oh, um, And he saw loads of tourists come in on buses and going to the castle, kissing the stone, back down, nothing for them to do in Blarney and get back on the buses and off again. So it came to him that he should be selling, he should open a shop and start selling stuff to tourists um, so they stay longer in Blarney. Okay. So he built the thatched cottage um, up in his parents' back garden where he had the windmill. Well, the windmill was gone now at this stage, obviously. This was years on. And his friends and my brothers helped him build it. And it was built with concrete as well. It was very small. I mean, and actually EY, when we showed that back in 2014, the thatched cottage on the inside was, oh, I mean, half a room size. Yeah. It was so small. So
1: what kind of things were you selling at the beginning in the thatch, thatch cottage?
0: we were selling water for glass which was very popular um, we were selling souvenirs we were selling Irish jewelry loads of errands.
1: when you when you contrast that education that you had in in, in retail with the uh, you know the MBAs and the marketing degrees that kids are <laughs> going after these days and um, you know do, I, I would assume you, you probably learned a lot more because you do learn more more by doing rather than sitting and reading textbooks don't you
0: probably did Yes, probably. But I always felt the disadvantage of not going to college. Really? Always had a hang up over that. And why is that? Because when I meet people that went to college, they had lovely, flowery words. And I was trying to use some of those words, sometimes out of context, maybe. And it was only a few years. Actually, EY in 2014 helped me with my confidence much more than anything else. Because when I went with them over, we went to Canada, um, I met all the other entrepreneurs and business people. They were all down to earth. It wasn't, um, I used to think entrepreneurs were in helicopters and, and coming in big Mercedes cars and, and limousines. That was my thoughts of what, what an entrepreneur was, not um, a business person that were grafting as, as I was, which a lot of them were at the time when I met them in 2014. And that made me more comfortable about myself.
1: So what was it that you got out of that mingling with other entrepreneurs that boosted your confidence?
0: Yes. Um When we went for EY entrepreneur of the year in 2014 and we got through and we went over with them to Canada, I remember Frank O'Keefe, he was there at the time planning it, now he's the head person in EY, and um he got me to stand up and I stuttered through, I don't know what I said, but anyway, stuttered through what I said. And then there was Bobby Kerr at the time, he was doing interviews and, oh, they were just brutal. Um But... It did start giving me the confidence when I met everyone as well, my peers, that they were all down to down to earth. They weren't using big words either. They were being themselves. And I learned from them that it's OK to be yourself and to use the vocabulary that I understand to get a point across rather than trying to think I should be like someone else saying, um, using their vocabulary. So that was a huge step for my confidence. Um and most years I've gone with them now. China's coming up next year and, and Hong Kong, sorry, next year. So hopefully that's one that's in my diary because you do meet people, you do get business breaks, you do get business opportunities and you do get that extra boost of confidence.
1: But when you look back objectively, I mean, OK, so you, you felt like you didn't have maybe the, the vocabulary, but did it actually hold, it, hold you back? Do you think not going to college? <laughs> not
0: really, no, not really. <laughs> I, I was a real wheeler dealer, right? And then when I go to the suppliers, um, they were on men. And I charmed them with my talk, my smile, whatever to get discounts, whatever. We with everything. We were we really had the best um deals in the country as a tourist store. And I know that and still have some of those today. Um but um, no, it didn't stop me because I was persistent in what I wanted.
1: Do you, do you think you got away with more, shall we say, in those yes. negotiations? And then if it, then actually, you know, you hadn't been marrying and you'd been, a you know, you'd been born Martin O'Gorman or something like that and and, and went off uh, went off shopping that way.
0: Yeah, I definitely had the advantage and I knew it. They never, <laughs> they very rarely could say no to me about my discounts. Like if I was looking for a 10% discount, I'd look for 25 first. <laughs> and I might end up with 15 actually, which is probably more than I had gone out to get but that, me, that was then for me a real buzz because I achieved something I didn't think I'd get.
1: You've got a lot of experience of wheeler dealing as you say yourself. Yes
0: I have.
1: Um, what's the difference between you, know, you going and being uh, the buyer and trying to get a good price for your business and then you being the seller? I mean I, I know we're not generally in the business of discounting in shops in this country but you must get some people trying to kind of get a good deal out of you. Well, what are the different kind of traits that you need for each scenario?
0: You First of all, you know whether people are intending to buy or not because you'd get that vibe off them. There wasn't a lot of um, tourist shops at the time, so there wasn't a lot of competition. So we had what what customers were looking for. Bleak, warfare glass, souvenirs, jewellery, errands.
1: So it was a seller's market. And you then, didn't need a discount. And
0: then, no, we didn't. <laughs> and um, they'd, they'd be bringing lists of who they want to buy errands for and who they'd want to buy glass for. And we used to ship them for them. And um, they'd tick off the list and then I'd say, have you any more family members that would like to buy a hand-knit sweater? These are made in the homes of people. And I used to have the story where it's the honeycomb and blackberry stitches and give them the story about the fishermen that they fell overboard. They'd be known by their... And this is all true stories from what I believe the Aaron sweater was there for. Mm. And I always absolutely sold them more than they came to buy. Another, like this one, I used to go up to... um, In the knitwear factory we had our stockroom of Aaron's. And I used to go up there to get the selection of errands that people wanted. I said, Be down five minutes, I'll have it. Say they want a the size 42 crew neck, and I had this touch was so small that I had no, I'd only won and they'd no choice. And I'd go up, but then there might be not as many 42s as I thought up there. So I'd get a 40. I'd stretch it because Aaron's <laughs> sweat was handmade do stretch a bit put a size 42 crew neck on it or neck, and bring it back down and it would be a size 40 because you stretch it and you can do that with Aaron when I look back I should have no I had no conscience but, that was the, oh, I, that was, but I used to have a guilty conscience over doing that <laughs>
1: You know people talk a lot these days you know with with modern retailers competing with online retailers, and they talk about now shops have to put on an experience for people, something that they can 't get when they 're clicking online. You were doing that with your storytelling back in the day weren 't you? You were giving people a little bit of the Irish experience as well as the Irish merchandise
0: absolutely you uh, I mean, still a mode warar for where it was made, how it was made by hand. Uh, we ship it because we were able to ship it for them um so, yeah, I was selling. But, I would, you know, it was just a natural thing to me. I didn't think about it. Mm. It was just natural. I love, I got that buzz. You know, when people get a buzz out of smoking or drinking, whatever else, um, I got that buzz. For
1: you, it was buying and selling?
0: Buying and selling and looking after customers. And preferably selling. And selling more than the people <laughs> wanted. And the figures, when the figures started really increasing. Um, and then when we had the three shops, I would go from one to the other with certain stockers. We'd have people in, the, in different stores, very good people at the time and still have. Um, and I would be getting, if they'd ring me, look, we need a uh, um, Warford desk, they want to see a Warford Lismore decanter or they want to size a button-up with pockets or they want a honeycomb sweater. Or, and I went from shop to shop with that to get it. If it wasn't in the warehouse, I would have known either bought it down to the shop in the, the castle or the attached cottage, or they'd gone down to the one in the hotel. Anywhere.
1: Just, you talk about going from shop to shop and at that stage, I think you said you would three around Blarney, but of course you've got an awful lot more now. Um, what were the big... Milestones along that road when the company really, really grew.
0: Um, I suppose Blarney Williams was the biggest one when that came, when 1975 when we bought that when it opened. We only opened half of first, or even a quarter of it. So by degrees, when we got a bit more confidence, and the buses did pull in, and then we opened the restaurant so that they could eat there, and then he opened, we opened the hotel. But they were my father's dreams at the time, but we were running it. He never ran it actually. He handed it to us. And he, he only made the deals did the job and then handed it But I guess you all had
1: your own money on the line at that stage We
0: had and we had to we had to make it work and every one of the, well there was five of us four or five of us in the family that time in the business so we all had our own different things I ran the mill all the siblings would have run Dublin the shop in Dublin when Barney and Willemann's experience, experienced or um, when it, it um, got bigger or large, um, and then the bought Clarney so it was a brother that ran that and then the Nipper Factory up there, my brother Pascal and Frieda was running that at the time. And we had um, we hadn't the experience of managing a bigger company. Family businesses manage a different way than corporate businesses or professional businesses. We didn't know any of that at the time. We thought everyone was the same as ourselves. Of course not. But we didn't we look back and said, How could we even think that way? Um, so we had a strike Back in 1982, in Blarney Willow Mills, and that was really an eye opener for us. It lasted three months, and that was huge learning because few buses passed the picket line, but not that many. And we were very upset and we found it very hard on how how it could happen, number one, and what we should do. So we joined IBEC. Someone said join IBEC quickly. The
1: employers group.
0: Employers group, yes. I met a very good guy in there um, called Donna and um, he really did help us. But it took a while because they were very militant at the time and we had not been used to it.
1: What were were the staff upset about and, and how did you resolve it?
0: Looking back, it could have been over pay or it could have been over hours. I really can't. But it's recognition as well. They want it because over those things. Now, it was only the once off. We've never, ever in the company have had any an issue or a strike since in, in Blarney or in Kilkenny because we now understand how people like to, you know, it's important that we treat our people in respect and pay them what they should be paid and all of that. So during the strike... Um, we were we opened the we had a pub which we we opened the pub with a restaurant, and we all went in all the family one night. drowned our sorrows, we were looking out at the picket pick, picket outside, and we had just had a meeting I think with with someone in um, Ibex or someone that were advising us. And um, myself, well, we all got drunk at the night. We, you wouldn't blame us. We're so upset, and that was our own fault. We didn't know any better. So, so um, that night, um, my daughter Melissa was conceived Oh wow out of that strike and we called her obviously she was born nine months later mm-hmm. um, in 1983 she was born so we called her Strike Baby <laughs> so <laughs> she got married there a few weeks ago and she stood up and told the story herself makes for a about great, being she Makes re- for a great wedding
1: story It was, she did Yeah. I'm glad that, that Melissa stuck and not Strike Baby <laughs> yes. as a name
0: Yes and another thing with Melissa when I was in the hospital to have Melissa, right? You won't believe this. I was in the hospital because it was time to buy the war for glass, get it ready. And I knew what stock we had. I was checking the stock. And all these reams of paper that the old computers had, there were green lines. I had that in the hospital bed. You won't believe it. Like and my husband, my son, all in. And they were, all, what are you doing? Um, and checking our stock, checking what stock war for glass had and what we'd need to buy. Um, but it, it, it took nothing out of me. It's like I was, in my, well, I was 29 at the time, actually, when I, this, I was 29. Hmm. So it didn't take a shake out of me because I wanted to get the order in. So when it goes up in January, we had the glass and the right glass. So that was well, that's the way I am. I was yeah. a workaholic type.
1: Yeah. Well, and I look mean, back saying, now. What does what what that story, I suppose, tell, tell you and tell all of us as a lesson for kind of the, the compatibility of, of, of being in business and motherhood?
0: Yeah, I was. I suppose well, when I look back, and everyone looks back, and all mothers feel this. Um, you look back, and I was. I was really that workaholic. I was addicted to work a bit. I think it was a confidence thing with me. I was trying to prove to myself and to my father that I could do it because um, he actually put my one of my sisters in a pedestal, on a pedestal, and I was never seen as anyone that could do it. Even my, I didn't think myself. Absolutely not. Um, so. Um, that really kind of, I was always trying to prove to him and I think he died, and I hadn't proved it to him, I think. But I had to prove it to myself then. So um, I would now look back and say, I wish I'd done it a little bit different and given more time to the family, being a woman, being their mum. And um, I can't take it back, but I do spend a lot of quality time with them now. And we go away for weekends. We actually go to Liam's place in Monarchs, four of us. Um, and... Um, we we really enjoy that, you know. But do you think you
1: know, is it always and has it always been? And might is there a risk that it always will be a kind of an impediment to, to to women in business? The sense that you have to be always on, but it's only women that carry children.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Or certainly at the you know at that pregnancy stage, obviously. After that, it's a, it should be all hands on deck. But you know, do do do, do you kind of worry about that or how do you treat your own women's staff when it comes to them having having kids?
0: Well they all get their maternity leave and if they need to get if they need to take time off beforehand so whatever they need they get because we have very good people that work hard so you have to give back what you get um, My own daughter had, a, fam- had a, um, a son 12 months ago Michelle Ryan he's gorgeous and um, and I would take him staying overnight and things like that. So she she took more, didn't take full maternity, but I stood back because I know if I had said anything to her about taking a particular time off, she knew what I did. I took two weeks in maternity leave. She knew all that she didn't want to do what I did and I, I don't blame her. Hmm. Um, but still not full. No, she didn't. She took about three months, three and a half months off. And then she started back two days every three days, and then maybe after four months, five months, she was mm. back full time. Now, I didn't have anything to do with that. I stood back. But I can see she still feels guilty. I must get home to Ryan tonight. I'm going to travel two hours because I want to go home to Ryan tonight and I'll travel another two hours tomorrow. I want to be home to see him. So there is that guilt thing. And now when I meet um, women in business through EY as well as loads of other that guilt is still there. They mm. find it hard to balance um the, the two and it is hard.
1: Yeah, no no doubt it is. So and, and, I would I, have and I understand you 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 know you you let your daughter make her own decision in that regard. But you talk about the guilt about leaving, you know, not paying enough attention to the kids. But is there also a guilt that actually I'm letting perhaps my career down if I if I take my full maternity or something like that? Do you do you sense that amongst women in business today?
0: Um you would sense that. And you I, I did feel like that, that, this, that I had that awful drive that um, drove me to do this. And why, why would I only take two weeks? But I had very, very good people, minding the kids at home. It was always someone, and I used to tell the person minding mine, and Mary was for years, Mary, you are the most important person in, that I employ in my company or that you work for me. She was We treated her more like a family member rather than working for us. And she was with us Twenty odd years, um, she only left there recently, and um, she was fantastic if I was away on business buying and the kid, one of the kids were sick and in the hospital she'd go in with them stay with them so we had some great people, but no matter what I do now, I look back, I can't take it back. I can't live the past, so I have to get on with it. And I can give Ryan now, Michelle's son, loads of extra time, which now she loves to get see that happening, and give her. I mean, I said, give the they're all grown up now and go away for meals, and we're conscious of making time for each other, which we wouldn't have before. Mm. You know, lots and lots of lessons learned.
1: Lots of lessons more to come as well. Uh, Marion, do stay with us because till to come the Architects of Business will be hearing about how Kilkenny took on the recession and the other headwinds of a rapidly changing retail scene. You're listening to the Architects of Business on Joe in partnership with EY Entrepreneur of the Year. Visit EOY.ie to find out more about the programme and this year's finalists. Get in touch. Mail us on the Architects of Business at Joe.ie. Marion, did you... Did you see the financial crisis coming? I remember in the news, it was like Lehman Brothers this, and a, a lot of us who didn't know much about these things at the time. I mean, it was kind of at the beginnings of my career in business journalism, and I was just kind of learning what it was all about. And it was all pretty confusing.
0: Yeah, probably the year beforehand, we we probably were dipping, our sales were starting to dip. And we knew, but we didn't know it was going to come so hard as it did. And um, I remember waking up one morning and saying, oh my God, how are we ever going to get through this Um, because things were closed people stores were closing down Mm -hmm. things were happening you know people had less money and they were worried unemployment was was starting to increase and yeah I did get very worried but um I kind of then um, fear, I have to then kick into positivity because if you get so negative into something, it really brings you back, and then people feel that from you. So if I was going to be negative, I feel the pressure. What's going to happen? It's going to cascade down to to everyone.
1: Yeah. So, so how did you? I to. I, run, I have to kick
0: myself into positivity mode.
1: Right. So th- focus on the positives. You thought positive. What did you do?
0: Well, that you know, I knew that we we had um we have a very. Good customer service, customer base, customer service, and a huge cost in our customer service. I mean, thirteen or fourteen percent of our turnover would go into the teams and the front and the front of line, which is a lot higher than some other models.
1: Really, Much so higher. you you spend a lot more on being, shall we say, the smiling face at, at the at the counter or wherever.
0: Yes. And giving and, and you know um, giving product knowledge to customers, telling them about the product, being there to sell, giving keeping the store nice, and and all of that kind of thing. So um, I just thought to myself, if it comes to it, which it didn't, we didn't have to do that. Um, I can we can reduce the customer service levels for a while, and maybe make it ten or eleven percent, which would keep a company like our size that time going because that was a huge difference between 14% and say 10 or 11 So I knew that in the back of my head that that could be done and still trade well, trade away with that. Um, another thing we did was because of the re- recession then, um, we, did, we, we did a tour around to all of our stores, number one, and, and t- we talked and we're very open with our team all the time. We tell them our figures, we tell them daily figures, weekly figures, margin, year-end figures. Because uh, a it's lot important, of Irish companies don't do that. It's important sure. they
1: understand what's happening behind the scenes, exactly. I suppose.
0: And we said we may have to cut salaries at the time and wages at the time, but it would start with us if it did um if we had and a lot of other companies were cutting that time between five and twenty percent. we didn't cut we did not cut salaries number one, um, but we did say we might have to we didn't have to and number two, um we we were able to get leases in some in, in a lot in a shopping centers that we couldn't afford before we couldn't pay the kind of money that we were looking for the landlords. So we got some very good leases um, and deals at the time and we opened seven stores during... So you, during gr- you grew, grew rather than shrank? Yeah, we did.
1: And was there any part of you that kind of said, God, you know, there's the, it's stormy now, but there could be worse to come and, OK, this, this shop is looking pretty cheap, but I'm going to end up spending money on staff and kidding it out and w- would it be a, a, a you know... Was there gonna be a good outcome? You're looking at me saying, I did, no. Not a minute. Not
0: a minute, not <laughs> no. Um I remember in our first store that we bought after um after during the recession, just before the recession, it was Stillorgan. And I remember um it was the auctioneer was saying to Mark with our finance guy, You should look at this as a shop coming up. It's just a uniform shop it used to be in Stillorgan. And um Actually, some of the family members went up and spent a couple of Saturdays up there and they all came back, don't open, don't open, don't open. But I knew we had to grow. We were just staying too long the way we were after splitting from Blarney. We had a tough time. We didn't grow during that time because we had some of our issues with the SARS, with the foot and mouth, with the 11th of September. So we had very tough beginnings in when we separated, the marriage from Blarney. And... Um, I said no. We just must. Um, it was a gut, nothing else. I hadn't gone up, <laughs> and we opened and it was one of our best stores, and still is. So then that gave the confidence to everybody that we could do this.
1: Talk to me a little bit more, actually, about how the business had evolved around that time, because you mentioned there, and we haven't covered it yet, the the demerger of Blarney. Um, you're no longer or were no longer at that stage uh, a kind of shop just selling to tourists, selling tourist things to tourists. you was likely to be selling homewares to, to, to locals now.
0: Uh, yeah, okay. So, back in, um, back in the 1990s, it was, um, it was difficult, um, family business got more difficult because I thought we should bring in professionalism, professionalise the company, bring in External people. And um, I actually did bring in a guy that um, to run the mill who was a retailer at the time because he was more professional and, and he was really doing a good job. So, but other family members had a different idea. They were saying, well, it's not broken. Don't, there's nothing broken. Don't fix it. But I really thought that we should be looking forward rather than and, and being better at what we do. So we had, a big, we had disagreements about that. So then I left the company and um, emerged from it back in 2000. But there was a bit of family conflict back then. Um, so I had been saying to myself, there's no way I'm going to let that happen in Kilkenny, in the new business, when the family members ever come in. Um, so I'd learnt, again, this was hard lesson. When you, when you have um, family and business together, it can very often cause conflict. Um, so when we went into Kilkenny, I actually got... Um, um, what is it called, it was, um, oh, I can't remember now, Constitution, family constitution written up, and um, we got a professional company to do it in Dublin. They had been used to doing these um, constitutions. They recommended it. They Now, did I question everything? No, I did not. Didn't under, did I understand everything? I thought I did, maybe not. It wasn't as written as well as it should have been written, and that was the one thing then that caused a bit more conflict down the line for me um up to a couple up to recently, because we had that constitution in place, caused a problem, even though I put it in for the fact that it wouldn't cause a problem. Mm. So there's still I still learn more to learn, obviously. Someone said you've got more to learn here and this is the next thing. <laughs> you,
1: you you mentioned that and it has been in the papers recently, the, the 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 conflict within within the family. How does it feel to to see that played out in in newspapers and people reading about it. What does it do to you, not just as a as a business person but as as a mother, as a wife, as a sister?
0: Oh sure. Um, I could not believe this would have happened to me. If anyone said to me that years earlier that this is going to happen, I wouldn't believe it. I actually couldn't believe it. Um I couldn't believe that that the way it happened, how it happened and why it happened. Um, and um that's why I would not go on the papers for anything. It was just, no, we had someone um, that would, would, would handle the press for us and it was always no, 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 um, no, not, no word, nothing. So, yeah, it was very disappointing after putting it in, after putting Constitution in, after the lessons I'd learned. And I thought I had it all planned, that it would never happen. Um, so it was very difficult for us as a family. Um, and still is, but, you know, it's, we have to get on with it now. So three members are in the business and my son is doing his own thing. Okay, So it's played out to that.
1: Is it hard to put these things behind you as a family? You know, to separate out the familial love from the, the professional relationship?
0: It can be, but uh, now I will make sure that never happens again to my other three. I don't care what I say or do or what they say or do. I'm just never going to let that happen again um, because it's not worth it. It's really, I know you have to do for the business, but for it damages the family and then when it comes to having to make that decision, it's really very hard. So um no, I wouldn't wish that on any family business. Any. So as I said, more learnings.
1: Time hopefully will be a healer and hopefully yeah. you'll be able to Absolutely to put that all behind you someday. Um what about the the next stages for for the company? Now that the dispute is resolved, what's the next chapter involved?
0: Well, retail is tough, so um, we have to be on our game all the time because online um, is is really, people are going online for convenience and, you know, get deliveries at home. So we have to do more of the experiences we said a while ago. And also we just um, bought Kilkenny Design last Tuesday. We signed the deal.
1: So so just explain that a little bit for us because lots of people will associate you with, with the Kilkenny brand and there is that you know big shop on Nassau Street in Dublin and lots of others around the country but then the the shop that was in Kilkenny city was was different now it's the same
0: I said it was um back in 1989 the government was running the government had the two stores they set up Kilkenny Design in Kilkenny to um to bring and brought in um people from, from Europe to, to to see what design element was in Ireland and they found a lack of design in Ireland so they set up the, the Kilkenny design with all these workshops then they set up a store back in 1965 to sell the products the workshops were making, the guys in the workshops were making um, and then they opened up in Dublin in 1979 to open up to the tourists and the Dublin market and um, they sold it then in 1989 uh, 19- 89 I think The, the 1969, shop. they sold they set it up in 1989 they, the government sold it but it was sold as two different identities or two well, different shops two different shops with similar there was names. a management buyout in Kilkenny uh-huh. and Blarney Woolmills, which I was involved at the time because it was back in 89 bought the um bought the Kilkenny shop on Nassau Street because Blarney Woolmill had a shop on Nassau Street and they didn't want anyone to buy it um so that we'd have to compete with to, um, tourists in the same street. So it was done strategically for that reason. And um, that's 30, almost 30 years ago now. But everyone was confused with Kilkenny Design because we couldn't use Kilkenny Design because that was given to the shop that was in Kilkenny. that was owned and bought by a management buyout. And then we we called ours Kilkenny because it was known as Kilkenny Design. Um, so it was very confusing. Customers would come in with their vouchers to us, are exchanging products. We say that's not our store at all, and they'd be really upset and confused. And then, vice versa, they would do the Kilkenny. So, a couple, about a year ago, um, the owner down there said to me that she's thinking of selling. So, that had to be part back, back part of our company again. The natural pr- thing and just, to do. So we met a few times, and um, and she wanted to sell it to someone that would continue with the Irish design and the elements of, of, of the workshops down there. So, of course, we are the good fit for that. And um, it's bringing back the whole roots of Irish design. And now for us, that will help us in the future to create even more of an experience.
1: So how, how important is that kind of original vision of even, you know, Kilkenny itself, the, the, the government Kilkenny, um, the Irishness of it all? Uh, how much do you... Prioritize Irish-made goods, and 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 do you think twice before you you stock uh, those produced elsewhere?
0: Well, we have a, we have a real issue at the moment. Um, we we have 125 Irish designers made in Ireland. We would have another. 30 or 40 Irish designers not made in Ireland.
1: Designed but not made. Designed not yes. made in Ireland.
0: And then you do have um, some of the international products because they give a choice and price points to our customers. And we have briefed our buyers to go and buy and grow more of the, the Irish products because we know that's our future because you can't copy it in the high street. They really can't copy. this handmade because each individual piece is made by hand. So if you see two pictures and they're similar, they're both different because they're made different. So we feel that's going to be a real strength in the future. So we want to lessen our dependency on international and more on the Irish design. And now Kilkenny Design is going to even help us more to understand all that Hmm. and to even grow. And that's where we find that that differentiates us from other competitors and, it is, uh, and I do believe the road forward for us. It's yeah. how well we do it and tell the story about the designer, where it's made, how they make it handmade and do more of that and we're working on that, that at the moment. And I
1: guess the the strength in that is, and I'm probably a retailer's worst nightmare. I, I walk around a shop and I'll look at you know item X and I'll instantly go online and see can I get it cheaper online? But you can't really do that in a shop like yours, can you? Because you're probably not going to get that piece of handmade pottery on Amazon or something Not
0: on Amazon, you would get it on on some sites in Ireland and definitely on our site, but you won't get it on Amazon or anyone. Now, if you think about it, if we were designing and making in China we would have a higher margin than we'd have being made in Ireland so we are at a a disadvantage we really can't discount the Irish products anything like, say, our competitors can, so we have to be careful there what we do, um, but we feel that's the road forward. The more we do and, you know, like your Christmas shopping this year? And Kenny has to be the place for that because all the individual products, handmade, <laughs> um, individually made, they're unique, can't, you know, no two alike. And you, you you, have to think about the person that you're buying it for. You're
1: very true. You're very right. <laughs> and I'll be sure to put it on my uh, my shopping itinerary. Um, listen, do, do you still work as hard these days as you used to?
0: Almost not really as hard because um Michelle and Melissa the two, my two daughters one is head of buying and one is head of retail um, and they were doing an, like an awful lot more of the work that's why I don't come to Dublin as often and this is only in the last maybe three years or four years that they have the confidence to do that um, and they do a very good job so I don't have to worry about it so I do take a bit more time but not enough I mean I felt last week I actually hit a wall because I work too many hours at night time you know do my laptop because I'm no secretary or anything my laptop is I do all these things myself there's no ongoing blarney we did have but you then didn't have laptops so you didn't have you answering yourself type of thing so it's just I have to stop um, I have to spend time on working a bit less now and I, mean, I know that
1: Spend time I mean is that a lesson you've had to teach yourself actually the I have to, of right I mean, in the midst of it now at the moment
0: you, yeah because I, I really felt I hit a wall last week, that I was so, my back was at me, this was at me, that I was so tired. Um, and I knew that I wasn't giving the business the right decisions because I wasn't thinking. This is just clear. last week. Last week. If we did this interview last week, I probably would have <laughs> cancelled out. Um <laughs>
1: But, but, the, but the way you talk about that is 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 almost as if it's never happened to you before. I mean, have there not been other times where you've kind of felt just a bit overwhelmed and you've just had to put down the laptop or stop answering the phone and just give yourself some marrying time?
0: Sometimes, very rarely, it would be um, it'd be more around the conflict time rather than. Um, and I I do hate conflict, so I stay a lot away, away from conflict as much as possible now. But um, sometimes, but not not a huge amount of time. I have an awful, awful lot of energy. I uh, and I still have they used to call me the Duracell bunny and but yes I do want more time um, and, and therefore the girls are taking more and I'm a very good finance guy now Connor and we really have super people working in the company that I don't have to think about it if they make an odd mistake and I, I would say to myself that's the learning
1: we've, we've been talking a, a good bit about how retailing has changed I mean are you are you full of confidence about the future of it or is there some kind of lingering feeling that, you know, something fundamentally might shift that could spell trouble for you?
0: Well, of course we're cautious now um, with, with the way online is growing um, and the way retail and footfall is difficult um, and on NASA Street especially, we've had the Lewis works and now the Lewis has changed all the dynamics of the way people walk also, footfall in most stores that you'd nearly see, maybe not pennies now or, or some of those, um, are down in footfall. The sales are higher for the footfall because we're selling more to the people that come in. But it is a concern that online is going to be bigger. We know we have a lot of work to do on online and um, that's where we're looking at at the moment um, in, in, in investing more in that. Um, would we... We, we have Kenny Design. We're, we're looking at another smaller acquisition in February. So that's, and we know now where, like, you know, tourism isn't going to go away. There's more tourists. I was just at a tourism <laughs> seminar yesterday and the prediction is that'll be up 4% next year to 116 7 million. And on That's balance, good. you
1: can probably rely on tourists to come through your doors.
0: We have to work harder enough to get the tourists in as well. And upstairs to the restaurant, the tourists love the restaurant. The food is good. We make it all in our own kitchen. It's not bought in. I've had so it plenty
1: times. My yeah, mum loves it as well. It's genuine.
0: Yeah. and um, So again, Kenny Design is going to be the same. Our new acquisition will have food and tourists coming to it as well. So I suppose we have to make sure now that we're going in to develop um into the areas that we know that we're sounder in, mm-hmm. rather than just going off and saying we'll open here. There anything that comes up. So yeah, we're cautious. We're, we have to think twice about it.
1: Mm. So you were saying earlier you, you've started kind of handing over the reins somewhat to your to your daughters. Um, will there ever? It strikes me. I don't think there'll ever be a time when <laughs> you'll will you, when you'll entirely relinquish the reins. Will there?
0: Um, I always want to work. I think, but as I said, they're they're doing really good, and the senior team have really some good. We brought external senior people in, and they really um, have lots of new ideas, and that's of way of driving the business. Um, our finance guy came after twenty three years from Curry um, Group, so these loads of experience, and we have Eamor who joined us, and we've very good people around now, um, and they're helping, but giving up the reins. Actually, it's hard because. If you, you know, who's, who's the person that wants to take the reins? This is where I'm at, who, who likes to drive it and wants it. And my daughters are both ages that they still want the family life. Balance for themselves, which I can fully understand. So um, I'll stay with it another time, but if I can and as long as I can get more time out, um, but then I do really want to draw back fully as, as in the next few years. That's Cause, the plan, anyway.
1: Because we all need to rest sometime. Absolutely. Even the Duracell bunny. I
0: know. <laughs> <laughs> <I> know.
1: <laughs> Marion Gorman, thank you very much for talking to us today.
0: Thank you, Ty It was a pleasure. Thank you.
1: Thanks for joining us today on the Architects of Business. Thanks to our guest, Marian O'Gorman, our producer, Patrick Hohe, and all of the team here at Joe. This programme is made in partnership with EY Entrepreneur of the Year. Go to eoy.ie to learn more about the finalists for this year. And don't miss out on past or future editions of the Architects of Business by subscribing for free on iTunes, on your favourite Android podcast app, or you can watch us on YouTube. Plenty more Joe shows to choose from too, including Ireland Unfiltered with Dion on Fanning and Baz and Andrews House of Rugby. I'm Ty Rice. thanks so much for being with us today and I hope to see you again soon. Bye bye. The Architects of Business on Joe in partnership with the EY Entrepreneur of the Year programme telling the story of Ireland's
0: leading entrepreneurs across the island of Ireland.